Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. Right. First clap of 2020. If there was a synchronized clapping competition, we would be really good. Yeah, there probably is. (laughs) It's probably true. There's, There's like tag competitions. Seriously? Yeah, have you not seen this? No, I have not. I oh, would have it's, been such a it's, failure. It's like some sort of weird combination of Ninja Warrior and well, and Tag. And the titular game Tag. Whoa. It, would be, it sounds like it would be fun to watch, though. It's very fun to watch. It's it's sort of like free running. They like dive around through this like obstacle course type situation. <laughs> Parkour Tag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very cool. It's very, very cool, but it has a very like ultimate Frisbee vibe to it, which is to say it's these people who are very athletic, very like like these are some of the best athletes doing some of the most athletic things you'll ever see playing the most ridiculous, stupid game. And I say this as someone who loves ultimate Frisbee. Okay, I love ultimate Frisbee, but it's a stupid game. Like if you actually look at the rules, you're like this game was clearly invented by people who like were on a on some sort of substances coming into 2020 trying to make people mad step one <laughs> uh no i i haven't played ultimate frisbee since uh, once maybe since college yeah well it, that seems appropriate was, that's the time of- when you're required to play ultimate frisbee you there there's there's many things there's many formative experiences in college like you can you know you'll you'll probably like learn about and listen to Godspeed you black emperor and uh, <laughs> you'll play some ultimate frisbee and realize you like it. And um, that's about it. Really. You'll oversleep and, uh, and just never go to bed before midnight. Well, Unless you move into the frisbee golf from ultimate mm. frisbee. That's like the next step, right? The next. But, yeah. 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 Mo- most of those people that moved into that in college though, didn't seem to graduate. <laughs> Not all of them. Not all. Of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I might be stereotyping a little bit. Maybe that's okay. That's 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 so. Uh, it's, uh, this is it's just New Year, New You. New Year, New, new, new you. you. You can be who who you want to be, Amos. Uh, well, can we start this year over then? <laughs> really, we're only two days in. Well, I know, but how'd you screw up so badly within two days? Well, I don't know. Maybe I've done better. Oh well, you know, I was just stereotyping people, and you said New New Year, New You. I don't yeah. want to be a. I don't want to be someone who stereotypes people. Mm. Well, you have all year to change it. That's true. That's true. I I have, like you, though, have not been on a certain website that touts itself to provide information and, and community. Yeah. You yeah. should keep it. You should keep that going. <laughs> that seems like a good thing to keep going. Yeah, the site that shall not be named. I don't want to talk about it because last time you last time you brought it up, I got yelled at. So I, I don't want to be involved. You and you and you and your and your and your drama and your flying monkeys fly in here and they <laughs> cause problems for me and I don't want any part of it. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I will not. Away. I will not be party to this. I wash my hands of it. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind <laughs> me. Uh, that that never gets old. <clears throat> so what do you, what do you have going on in, in your in your elixir two days? so far or, or any yeah yeah um nothing yet uh we pushed out over the break um we pushed out um probably the 
last major feature. I think we're still going to get, we're still going to tweak some stuff. Um, but it's probably the last major feature of Norm, which is to oh, so add um, Norm is contracts. Done. Well, no, it's not done. There's going to be some improvements, but I think like on balance, it's done. Like the bulk of nice. all of the stuff is there, and then now it's refinement. But we added contracts, so you can add annotations to your functions, like contract annotations to your functions, which are basically look like specs. They look like okay. type specs, except you can use your Norm specifications, and then they check both that you know you're passing the right data into the function and they check that the function's returning the right stuff at runtime right at runtime yes is yeah. is there any compile time checks in norm no not by default no i mean not right now norm is built such that you could build those things mm-hmm. you could build compile time checking but it doesn't do it for you automatically and uh that's left as an exercise to the reader like if you want that then you uh, could certainly build compile time stuff. Like the the bits are all there that you need to build it at compile to to check things at compile time if you want to do that. And I I know that I was talking to you on on a chat the other day, and you you currently support stream data, right, for generating mm-hmm. data. And are you, is there there's still plans to maybe support prop check? Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll no. end up supporting prop check, but these are so, the sorts of things that I think like are improvements over the over the long term. It's mm-hmm. like we'll support different generation backends, prop check being one of them, and we'll support like I'm gonna the next major thing I'm working on is uh, is error messaging is improving all the error messages, um, pretty pretty dramatically improving all the error messages. Nice. Um, so it'll be very clear what's wrong and why and all this kind of stuff. Um, when you pass the pass this data around, and I, I can't take any credit for the contract stuff, it was something that I wanted to have, but um, but Voitech did all that work, and is and is still continuing to work on it. And so um, it's been awesome to have nice. him involved in the project, just to bounce ideas off of and talk to about things. He's been an amazing collaborator, and he's way better at Elixir than I am. So it's 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 nice to <laughs> turn over some of the hard problems and be like, nice. I'm excited that you want to do that because I don't even know how. <laughs> I'm not ready to start that. So, um, so, so it's been great. Cool. So supporting um, supporting prop check. What's the? Is there like any major hurdle that needs to be overcome to do that? No, you just got to do it. It's just got to be done. And then other than that, it's just like you need to implement a uh, protocol, and that's it for the different nice. types of of checks that we can perform. Otherwise, that'll be basically about it. And then, uh, and then it'll be done, but it's just, it's just a matter of doing it. Mm -hmm. And right now it just hasn't, it's not on the top of the pile. Sweet. So, but yeah, but that's exciting. So that's kind of the only real, that's really the only thing I did at all uh, over the break. Uh, it's the only thing I've kind of worked on recently. So that's, but that's cool. It's, I mean, it's exciting to see that library. It's exciting to see that library kind of nearing it's what like it's already really useful. And it's already really close to like what I want, but it's nice to see it getting these refinements and that kind of stuff because it's Mm -hmm. it's just becoming more and more useful. And that's really exciting because I really do think it's like, I think it's pretty, I don't know. It's just pretty good. Like it's really, it's just everything I've, I've wanted it. Everything it's everything I wanted it to do. It's been able to do. And that's really exciting because it's actually really been helpful uh, in a way that in, in, in so many ways that like I didn't expect it to be helpful. Um, and it's been really, really useful for that, for just like 
adding it into different you know services and libraries that we maintain. It's been nice. It's made Where? it's crept into literally every one of my open source libraries. I think at this point, <laughs> just because it, it's like it's like ah, I really need to validate this. Oh, I'll just use that, and it's like even in so it's just propped up in places that like I didn't you know anticipate off the top of my head. So the sweet spot. Do you feel like it's the edges of your your code, or do you use it all all the way through the stack? I use it everywhere. I use it actually everywhere. Yeah, I use it everywhere. I use it so, at the edges when you want to conform values that are coming back from like some API, and I use it to like check that the arguments you're passing to a Gen server are correct. Nice. So it's it's like. I use it all over the place. And um, I think that's going to become even easier. That's going to become even more ergonomic with the new contract stuff that's out now because it's just mm-hmm. an annotation. So it's really easy to define the, you know, the options that you want to pass in or the keyword list you want to pass in. Uh, and I think that's going to make that even easier. But have um, you, yeah. Have, have you thought about writing it in Rust? Uh, I have. I've considered rewriting it in Rust because that would make it better. Uh, I can only imagine it would make it better. Now, see, the Rust community is great because eventually we'll have rewritten all of those old Unix tools into Rust, and then that'll be great. Because apparently that's the, you know, say what you will about Go, and I have said a lot of things about Go, but they're at least building real things in it, right? Like, they're building, like, Kubernetes and etcd and... Uh, you know, uh, like all of the HashiCorp stuff is written in Go. It's like, like people really actually write real pr- code that's used by thousands of people. And freaking Rust, like the best thing they've come up with to do with that language is like write replacements for already existing working tools. Good job, gang. Good job. Really glad we took this like brilliant type algebra and now we're using it to rewrite said because that's the thing that needed to be rewritten. That's the thing that just really hasn't stood the test of time <laughs> is said. <laughs> Rip said, right? Rip grab, rip said, rip. <laughs> yeah, rip grab and uh, said. No, it's just SD now. Just SD. Oh, I just found SD. one that replaces tree. If you use the tree utility, the other day, it's like GitHub keeps recommending that I look at these libraries for whatever reason, and I because like I guess I need to replace my entire Unix stack with Rust tools because you know that would fix it for whatever the definition for whatever's broken. I'm not sure what's broken right now, but but this will fix it. Surely. And so, and it's like, you look at it and it's like, oh, said replacement, 2000 stars. It's like, what are you going to be kidding me? Like, what is happening? Right? Like, the, this is, it's so, it's it's just solutionism. And it's also like, do you just really like solving? Is this like, the, this? how is this the best thing you thought to do with this language? Like, how is this the best thing that you could come up with? I mean, whatever, it's your time and, and, your, and your energy. You spend it however you want to. And if you're into that kind of thing, I mean, whatever, that's fine. But it just feels like so much like, I just am searching for a problem. I just need to find a problem. Where the problem is, how do I make this, like, how do I use this language for literally anything? It just blows my mind. It's just, it's so silly to me. And like Go is like a terrible language, but at least like people build real software in it. Like they build like big infrastructure projects in that thing. You just never want to maintain it. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> sure, I don't. But like, I'm just saying, like, it's just telling. It's just interesting. At least Go is like focused on on solving a problem where the problem is like at least sem- semi real, right? Yeah. 
So I don't know. I had I had to rile you up. I, you know, I I have some resolutions this year, but riling you up is not not one of them. No, that's I'm fine. That's I, you know, it's it's fine. You're allowed so, to do that. So now that you have have Norm out there, and mm-hmm. you've already released it, now you can use a previous version of Norm in Norm. Yeah, bootstrapped. As they there say. you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Norm yeah. yeah. Norm. <laughs> uh, I have thought about that because everything is represented as data. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no reason we couldn't delete literally every test that's in the norm repo and replace it with like a single property based test that just generates all of the different types of specs and specifications that you could possibly compose together. I'm in. And then validates them. So you could, there's, there's all kinds of things you could do. We should totally do that. Right. This is what I'm thinking. I think, but you have to build sort of like a meta layer. It's, it's, it is like slightly complicated. It's possible to do though. Well, I think we take the next two weeks off work and just do that. I've already taken three weeks off work. I'm just, I'm trying well, to get then, back into work what's, today. What's two more? <laughs> oh, good, good point. You know what? You got me there. You got me. Um, so any, uh, any, any speaking of the new year, um, I'm not much one for resolutions cause I don't like to fail, but, um, hmm. actually I love failing. So that you can't, uh, I should can't ever, if, if you keep your expectations low, you'll always exceed them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, so do you have any uh, elixir resolutions for the year? I don't know. Um, I've got some projects, some like not open source projects, but some sort of like tutorial bookie type projects that I want to work on. Um, that I think would be really fun to do and useful for the community. Um, but otherwise, I don't really have. Anything off the top of my head that's Elixir specific. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot. I said it a couple weeks ago, but I've been really, really thinking about the idea of Elixir as sort of a boring language. Mm-hmm. And that's becoming more and more appealing to me. Just like the language I can use for a bunch of different things, but like the language I can put into production and build services with and like never worry about them. And that, And I've been thinking a lot about like, how you choose like technology um, and how you choose to use certain tools in your company, Mm -hmm. like using shared languages, like the idea of like having a homogenous language that everybody talks in. Um, I used to be less of a proponent of that. I used to, this is like before I, you know, this was when I was a young person. I used to like really buy into the idea of like, everybody should build whatever service they want in whatever language they want and like that's fine and now i'm like highly against that idea like i really really think that's a silly i think that's like a waste of a giant waste of time so what changed your mind um i don't know becoming responsible <laughs> like <laughs> your meeting just to, got more gray just needing <laughs> yeah like getting over it like being tired of of maintaining crap that doesn't work like mm-hmm. I am, I don't know. I'm all about reducing cognitive load. Like I want, you know, we run some, we have some Ruby services here and stuff like that still. And they suck. They suck so much. Um, And part of that's because Ruby's like kind of a sucky language with like a sucky runtime. 
that, you know, <laughs> I mean, just is like, I mean, you, you can judge me for saying that all you want, but it, it just is like, it's oh no, we, like we, we hit rust. Like, we might as well hit everybody else. <laughs> well, I'm just saying like, if you're cool with like taking a 20 X performance hit, basically just because you use that runtime, that's good for you. But like, I'm not cool with that. And like the debug ability and introspection tools just suck. Like the ability to like get into a running system and diagnose problems sucks. Like those things all, those are all terrible. And it sucks to have to go back and use that, like to work on those apps because it's so hard to maintain them. Where maintain really means like get into the running system and fix it. And like, and, and understand, understand yeah. the code and what's going on. Um, I think all of that's, that's one of the things that I've been running into a lot is that um, code that's like Ruby is, is touted as being able to be written to be understandable, enjoyable, more English. And these big systems written in it, I'm finding out are not. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I I don't know. The, the more I use Elixir and Erlang stuff, the more I just feel like it's a superpower. Like... And it's a superpower that not everybody knows about. And I'm kind of like, okay with that because it feels it really does feel like a superpower, like to put stuff into production Mm -hmm. and then to just not have to worry about it. Or like if you worry about it, it's because like when you do have to worry about it, you have all these tools at your disposal to get into the running system and like diagnose it and fix it. Right. Mm -hmm. That to me is so useful and so powerful as a thing, like as an entity that I don't know why you would, I don't know what benefit you're getting out of like having this, this, you know, microservice infrastructure that has 20 different languages that you need to know and support because like you just can't conceivably know that many things. And I think people who optimize for like, write it in the right tool for the right, you know, using the right tool for the right job. Like that's not a real thing. That's never been a real thing. No one has ever meant that sincerely whenever they've said it. What they mean is like, I have two tools that I like and I'm going to pick the one that I like more for this job, right? Like no one's ever <laughs> objectively sat down and been like, we should definitely you you know choose between Haskell, Pascal, OCaml, and Clojure for this. Because like those all have different properties or whatever. It's like no one's ever done that. People just look at stuff and they're like, we're going to use this. and And they pick that because like, a whole bunch of reasons, not the least of which is familiarity. And I actually think that's totally reasonable. That's totally fine. That's actually like the best way to make decisions. Familiarity. Yeah. Because if, and also like what you like, (laughs) because like if you, if you have an entire team that knows Haskell and you want to run Haskell in production, then you should do that because you like Haskell. And at the end of the day, code runs a lot more than you write it (laughs) like Mm -hmm. you know code sitting in production you have to work on it a whole lot more than you have to write it the first time right and at the end of the day like you have to put stuff into production that you want to tune and that you want and that you know how to actually like get performance out of and that you know how to make stable and you know how to observe and monitor and that counts for so much more than any sort of like right tool for the right job nonsense that anyone's ever spouted and like, we're so much better off just calling it what it is, which is just well, like familiarity and preference. <laughs> like I like this pro- pro- projects. Projects don't normally fail due to I, actually I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb. Projects never fail due to a technology choice. Even if you want to do it in, in Ruby, right? 
Sure. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. fail due to a technology choice. It's, it's communication and desire and the ability to stand up for what you know needs to get done and do right. it correctly. It's, it's really, um, well, now I feel like 10 years ago, bud, buzz, buzzwordy but it's it's really your care of craftsmanship when creating it originally and your in communication throughout the the project team or the company yeah i think the communication the communication specifically is is so huge because that's like the big problem right like the big problem is did i even understand the requirements Mm -hmm. that's like the the heart the actual hard problem and then right underneath that is like, did I build the right thing given that I understood the right requirements? Like, even assuming if I got past step zero, which was understand the requirements, now did I even implement those requirements correctly? And like, that transcends all technology choices. I'm of the opinion that you should choose technology that you're comfortable with and that you're familiar with because it lets you have more time to focus on those two things. Like, you don't want to spend waste your time fighting your tools just because someone said that it would be like the right tool for you to use. Like if you hate Erlang, don't write your thing in Erlang, despite the fact that you're building a chat app. Right. You know what I mean? Like you won't you won't do a good job. Right. Because you'll be so focused on the problem of like on uh, on the technology choice that you'll miss all of the important bits, which were like, did I even understand what was being asked of me? Like. That's the that's the actual important problem. And I think, yeah, so I just don't get it. I don't I, I'm all about like I I I I don't know. Like I think if you're gonna pick choices like that, you should pick stuff that's like pretty boring. Mm-hmm. And like you and by that I mean you should pick stuff that you understand, that your team's familiar with, and that your team is excited about maintaining because they're gonna have to. Having 20 different languages supported by 20 different people is not a sustainable way to live your life just because like, I mean, now what, like now everybody's got to learn how to tune everything. Like that's, that's untenable and not useful and like not a useful expenditure of time. Right. That's my, I don't know. That's my feeling on it. But all that to say, like, I really love where Elixir's at right now, which is to say, like, I really love, where the Elixir, the language is at right now, just because I think it is, it's like a, it's a super fully featured tool that you can just put in production and, you know, tune and debug and run, you know, with like stably. And that feels and, really good. And, and I'm really enjoying the, the place of, I know it's, it's been two years since Jose said the language is done. So now I feel like, the improvements that are going into it are, you know, getting more information, debug tools. Um, the the new release coming out adds what metrics to um, mm-hmm. compile time so that you can get in and kind of see what's going on when it's compiling and and maybe speed things up there or find bugs there. Um, so all the just the tooling that that's being developed now <clears throat> is is awesome to me. I'm the, like I'm. I'm at the same level of you. I'm I'm comfortable in the language. I want to do it more. I don't know. That's kind of my resolution this year too. Is I want to get back into doing some more nerves and hardware stuff, mm-hmm. and also growing my company. So in, in that vein, uh, I get to check both of those because Connor Rigby is coming on, and we're going to be 
pushing out some, working on some nerve stuff and, and just trying to see what we can do to, to give back to the community too, at the same time. So that's, those are my, my resolutions this year is give back and, and get more because I am still excited after, I don't know, five years, six years. Yeah. Uh, however long it's been of, of working or at least starting to play with Elixir was like six or years ago, I think, um, is that I'm, I'm still excited about the language and I'm actually more excited today than I was then due to the stability that we're starting to see. Yeah, I, I am as well. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm just really excited about it. I'm excited that like, um, yeah, yeah. I'm excited. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Right. So, and there's certainly like still stuff that needs to be improved, you know, in, in terms of like not language specific things, but just like quality of life things, but that's fine. We'll get there. Keep working so, on that stuff. So l- let's look, look back at like the last year. What, uh, what big things happened in Elixir that, that use or improvements that you're saying that make the language better for me. One is releases. Uh, I, I am glad that that got pulled back into the core and things are a whole lot simpler for getting releases out than they ever been. That story is a whole lot better now. So thanks to everybody that worked on that. I think releases is big. I think telemetry is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, I think telemetry is really important. Telemetry is not done in my mind. Like telemetry Mm -hmm. does not feel like a completed project to me. I don't know if anybody else feels differently about that, but I don't, I don't, it doesn't feel finished. What do you think? What do you think it's missing? Introspection. Good Lord. Introspection. Like it is not good enough to, to like read the docs to find out what event, what telemetry events are published by any given library. That's just not good enough. It's true. And so we need a, we need better tools for that. I think that's a thing that's being worked on last. I heard um, that's come up a lot and the mm-hmm. observability working group. And so they'll probably end up being some sort of thing to solve that. But yeah, that's, that's the big one in any case, but I think telemetry is a huge, a huge deal uh, and really important. And it's nice to see that people are sort of rallying behind it. Cause I think that that's an, that's an important thing. Yeah, and I, I think the documentation for that has been improving recently too, for telemetry. I know mm-hmm. at first when I tried using it, it was, I, I was reading a lot of code to try to figure out what was going on. And how to use it. So it's it's become a lot more clear in the documentation. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other stuff that I think is like really important. Um, and nothing's coming to mind. But that's, but that's probably just me forgetting things. So how about this? Why do you find telemetry so important? Um, because it, it's an actual a real unified way of talking about metrics, right? Like we've had a bunch of attempts at this. Um, There's been lots of things that are out there that attempt to do this. Mm -hmm. None of which have the same level of like flexibility that telemetry has. And none of which, you know, all of which essentially try to do too much. They try to do too many things. They're not just like a dispatcher for events. Um, which I think is what adding front ends and everything else trying. Yeah. Adding front ends to it or adding just like even like data types, which now you have to reconcile with, you know, whatever it is that you're actually using. Like if you're using Prometheus or StatsD or whatever, one of these sorts of situations, like, you know, you have to, if you were using like 
exometer or whatever. Now you've got to figure out how a spiral translates into this other thing and whatever, you know I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. those are all, those all try to do too, too much stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it. I think part of it too, is just like all those things were so non-ergonomic to use from Elixir that they never caught on an Elixir. And as far as I'm concerned, all the, like the Elixir is leading, you know, a lot of the direction on that stuff, just because like telemetry started as an Elixir project. And became an Erlang project, and, and I do love that it ended fact. up. I, I do love that it ended up being an Erlang project because yeah, then that all, all those underlying libraries that I, we are utilizing can then add telemetry too and give us even more views into what's going on. Yeah, I do too. It just seems to me that like mm. there's a lot of motivating fact. There's a lot of motivation around getting this kind of stuff from the Elixir community, and we just tend to rally around stuff. And so because mm-hmm. we've all rallied around telemetry and everybody uses it, like it's the de facto standard thing to use um, for good or for bad. I think in this case, you know, telemetry is a good library and it's a good project and, and it's good that we're rallying around it. Um, and it's great to see it uh, gain more and more traction. It also means that like there's this one unified way of getting metrics out of a system, which is really convenient if you've got a, you know, if you're working on like 10 different services and they all need to spit out telemetry data. Like that's huge for us to be able to to handle that. So um, that's really really important because it means it gives us this like unified way to talk about everything, and it's all done well. Like that's the other thing is like before people built libraries and then attempted to have all these different ways of getting metrics out of them, and half of them sucked, and the other half like caused real big like performance problems and that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. it's like having this one way to do it that can be tuned and like can be optimized and not bottleneck and all this kind of stuff is really important. Yeah. I, I so I like to, I use it. I want to say it's kind of like observer for me. <laughs> like it's the overall health of the system building health, like dashboards using telemetry. Mm-hmm. Like I have the system I'm working on. We've talked about a few times with the camera images going through a series of steps. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at timing. I'm using met the, uh, telemetry to look at timing of each step and like, what's the 95th percentile of these things going through the system. So I can say, Hey, we need to target this, this step in the system because we have an overall time that a, uh, an image needs to make it all the way through the system. Right. So I can say, Hey, this one right now is the failure and, and is causing us problems. So we need to, work on speeding up that one or, or whatever. And then just throwing it up on like a, a dashboard in the room is fantastic. Cause then I know mm-hmm. in real time what's going on. And so does everybody else where you might be able to get that information from observer, but not everybody's right. seeing the or same thing and you have to some dig other a stats lot somewhere. And, right. Right. And so it's been, it's been super useful. And the fact that most of the libraries that i might be using to to do any of my work seem to start have some telemetry tie-ins so i don't have to worry about trying to add that to any of the tools that i'm using right i think that's actually probably the, the killer feature is i don't have to add it everywhere right right exactly yeah i i'm paying a lot of attention to the work the group from japan is doing on um different like LLVM backend type stuff or like um, that's the, the G- GPU the right stuff. Right? Yeah. GPU stuff. And some of the other like 
optimization stuff that they're doing. I'm paying a lot of attention to that. I think that there's some there there. I think that that's really interesting. I don't know if it's if it's reached. I don't know what level. I don't know. I don't know where it's reached at this point. But I'm pretty excited about that kind of stuff because there's definitely times where you're like, this is just too slow. Yeah. And you're down, and then you're like, what do you got to do? Write a NIF? Like, I don't know. You got to do something else at that point. Um, right. That sucks. Write some C. Yeah. Or like Rust or whatever, which is fine. I mean, mm-hmm. it's you can use Rustler for that stuff. It's a fine choice or whatever. But like, but then you got to like do preemption and like, or use dirt, dirty NIFs and like not every, and, and like, I don't know. I, I think like you shouldn't really, the dirty NIFs are there. They're, they're there and they're, you should use them. But like, you need to be careful about using those too, because like if everybody uses those, there's still a finite amount of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, eventually like we're all going to starve each other out of the, out of the system. So I don't know, like there's a, there's a case to be made to, to avoid using those if possible. But, um, in any case, uh, yeah, they're, they're not fun to debug either. No, I mean, none of that stuff is, and it's hard, it's hard to use telemetry and see. It's true. It's true. (laughs) But Uh, in any case, like, I don't know, like there are times when it would be nice to be able to do that without paying the cost. And also you're paying a transport cost, right? Like you're paying cost mm -hmm. of like, of, of like diving between these two worlds. Like there's a real, um, memory cost there. Um, and there's and there's time costs there. So like for really, you know, I, I think the the stuff that they're doing has has a lot of potential to be really, really interesting. So, yeah, so we'll see where that goes. Yeah, I, I'm I think the first time I heard about the work they were doing was at uh, Lone Star last year. Yeah, same. Uh, and then at uh, Elixir Conf, I was like going to figure out what they were working on. And I'm I'm pretty that that I think that could take Elixir Erlang to really to the next level. Um, yeah, it, it, it has, just it inc- definitely has the opportunity to. Yeah, yeah. It well, it just overall increases the usefulness once mm-hmm. you can start doing some some bigger computing directly in the language instead of having to hop outside. Uh, also, last I think this was last year, and I know that you're a fan of using it in certain places, but persistent term. Right. Oh yeah. Love yeah. persistent term. Yeah, that's beautiful. Love. I think it. I think it was last year. I don't yeah. remember. Hey, it love persistent. Might have been two years ago, but but that's all right. We'll oh, just move move past it. <laughs> the older I get, all the years just start to seem the same. <laughs> it's just one long year. So yeah. So I don't have a ton of I don't have a ton of elixir goals this year. I have I have a couple things I want to work on that aren't really open source. I want to finish Norm, but that'll be that's that's not that. That's not that far away. I've got a couple open source things I'm working on, and none of that, none of that's super interesting. But yeah, I've been thinking a lot. Did, did you ever read um uh so good they can't ignore you? No. That that's a really worthwhile book. I really liked that book a lot. The 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 last it's divided into four sections. The last section is a little bit like it's a little it's a little whatever. I didn't love the last section. Thought it was pretty weak uh, in terms of because it's a lot about like it's kind of platitudey. So a, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of platitudes in there. With the title, I assume it's not a very thick book. No, it's it's sort of in the same vein of like it's it's kind of like a Malcolm Gladwell book in that it's a uh, it's a blog post that became a book. Okay. Um, but it is really good and it's well written and and I think the points in there are important. Um, but one of the so like the key thrust of it, I'll give you the real quick 
real, real quick version. The, the thrust is that um, the passion hypothesis, which is to say, like, if you follow your passion, you should find a job wherein you can follow your passion. And like, that's the way to be happy mm-hmm. is fundamentally flawed uh, and is dangerous advice, which I tend to agree with. So I'm going in with like a, like a bias already. And his his argument is that you are happy in a job by doing something that you find meaningful in the world and also that you have a lot of autonomy in. Like having autonomy is like the way to is actually like the the way to be happy in your job. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've talked about this before. Yeah, I think we have. But in order yeah. to have autonomy, you have to no one autonomy is not a thing you get for free. And in fact, like control is not a thing that any company wants to give you or anyone else wants to give you. Like control has costs and control is only for you. It only benefits you. It benefits no one else, which I think is also true. And um, so you essentially have to, you know, wrestle control away from people. And the way you do that is by exchanging your, you know, rare skills. Basically, like you have to have skills that are worth. You have to have a skill set and you have to know about things in order to leverage autonomy from people. And if you don't have those things uh, or you don't have enough, like as what he, what he calls like career capital, you can't get autonomy because no one's going to give you autonomy um, unless you have something to kind of bring to the table. It's a, it's a barter essentially. So anyway, I've been thinking about that and I've been thinking about what that means. And I think this gets back to like, We've talked about this before too, but this gets back to the idea that like I'm so uninterested in learning about libraries or learning mm-hmm. about the trappings of whatever, or you know, it's like I want to learn about like if you were like, would you rather learn about this Phoenix internal thing or would you rather learn about greedy algorithms? I'm like gonna choose greedy algorithms literally every day because that's a way more useful thing. Yeah, yeah, in the long for run. For me, for me and the kinds of skills that I want to cultivate it might be different for you and your job. But like, that's kind of the trick, right? Is finding those skills and then figuring out what you want to practice and get good at in order to leverage more autonomy. And I think that that's kind of, that's the big thing I'm thinking about right now. At the start of this year, I don't do resolutions. I don't really believe in doing resolutions. I kind of feel like if you want to change something about your life, you should just do it. And you don't need to wait for like a specific time to do that. Oh yeah, definitely But it is a good time it's a good time to sit and reflect on certain things. Um, Cause anytime is a good time to sit and reflect. I, I, I think it, a lot of people have vacation at this time. So it's a good time to just sure. yeah, exactly. take a step it's back. It's chill. It's, 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 a, it's a, it's a, it's a slow time. It's right. Slow time. Right. So, yeah, but I think that that's, you know, it's, I mean, that's what, that's the thing I've been thinking about is like how, what skills do I want to cultivate this year or at least in the next like three to six months. And then more importantly, I think this is the harder part how to practice those skills deliberately, which is to say like how to find tasks that are slightly outside of your comfort zone and you, and, and like grow that skill set by doing things that are difficult. I think that's hard. I think like that deliberate practice is really hard or I have at least I have a really hard time with it. Deliberately growing your skill set. Yeah. Yeah. I think I get, I think I get stuck into whatever project I'm working on and then I try to grow my, I tr- I look for opportunities within that project to grow what I want to work on next. Mm-hmm. But I get so focused on that project that I have a hard time not thinking about that project 
like, you know, even over the weekend or in the evenings. So that in order to grow my skill set, I gotta I have to find project work <laughs> that has something in there that I want to grow. Yeah. And that's hard. That's really hard. Yeah. I, I think it brings good challenges though. So I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah. I know I I agree. I think that's but I think if you can figure out how to practice things in that kind of way, you're in really good shape. I think partially just because like learning how to practice things is really a useful skill. But I think there's a piece of meta work in there that isn't obvious. But in order to actually practice things, you have to understand where your current skill level is and like really understand where your current skill level is Mm -hmm. and then do something that's actually truly outside your comfort zone. Which is hard because that that takes a ton of introspection and 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 trying to figure out like where you actually are at with certain things. Well, and things aren't aren't always fun when you don't know how to do them, right? The, the I would say you, they're almost never fun, right? Like, well, like the, in the and that's like the, the the fun comes by by like pushing through and persevering, right? Right. Once once things feel simple and you get a true understanding, that's whenever you feel like they're fun, right? Right, and that, and I think that's where there's there's a lot of people who get stuck in one technology. It's often not fun in the moment because it should be uncomfortable, right? Like if you can develop this, if you can develop a a sense of having fun because it's uncomfortable, I think you're also in very very good shape. But it should be uncomfortable. Um, and I think a lot of people, myself included, get hung up on that. It's like, I don't want to do this. This sucks. Like, I don't want to push, have to persevere through this. I want to get to the end where this is fun, where I've already developed the thing. <laughs> just, just move past all this work part. Yeah. I just want to jump to the, uh, can I just skip to the end? Anyway, but I've been thinking about that. That's, that's actually the main thing I've been thinking about in the past couple of days. Those are good things to think about. Mm-hmm. That and um, pers- personal growth items. All the libraries that I could rewrite in Rust. <laughs> so many libraries. So many. So many. <sighs> yeah, I, uh, I think. Uh, never mind. Never mind. Yeah, no, let's was, not do this. All right. I was going to make a spray um, paint joke about Rustoleum, but we'll just move on. <laughs> nicely done. Uh, uh, we so, should wrap this up soon. We should. I need to get out of here too, but I have I have one last thing that I think is really important for us to share because um, not enough people know about this. I know where you live, you know about it. Um, but the the purely wonderful and delicious blessing of being able to eat black eyed peas on New Year's so that you can have a prosperous New Year the next year. What about it? You want me to Talk, what well, do you want to learn about? I'm telling you, the people in the north don't know that. I know that, but I'm just saying right. we should share with with all of our listeners. Like, you have to eat black eyed peas. You don't understand how amazing they are, especially with a little bit of bacon. But then you eat yeah, them on I New Year's. I, do, I, and, I don't do and, bacon, and that's how you become I, prosperous, right? You don't. What, well, you don't do it's true. I don't. I mean, I, here's the thing. It's not my, my daughter. My daughter asked about this the other day. She was like, "We were, we went out to the store to go um, buy a couple of things that we needed." Uh, to make black eyed peas, it's known as hop. hop the actual recipe is called Hop and John. Like that's the name of the dish that people make on 
Okay, so I'm, I'm explaining this poorly. Yeah, you got to go back. So in the South, uh, we have a tradition of eating black-eyed peas and rice for New Year's, on New Year's Day. And it's the dish is called Hop and John, and people add all kinds of stuff. Some people add collard greens to it. Often it's served with ham, uh, pork of some kind. You know, you might put a little pepper in there if you're feeling spicy. I put pepper in mine. Like, like I put it like a bell pepper in mine. Mm, nice. Um, you can use carrots. I mean, there's all, I mean, people kind of just like throw whatever in there, but the, but the main point, like the main part of the dish is rice and black eyed peas. And, um, and so we have that every year. We enjoy that every year. And we, I, but, and it's supposed, you know, it's supposed to bring you good luck or whatever. And my daughter asked me at the store, does this actually bring you good luck? <laughs> And the way I explain it to people is, or the way I explained it to her was like, well, luck is really about, I mean, the thing is, is like, you have to have, you have to have everybody, success is a lot of getting lucky. A lot of success is getting lucky. And when I mean getting lucky, I mean like having opportunities, realizing that you're, that you're getting an opportunity and then working really hard at that opportunity Mm -hmm. like but like getting the opportunity at all is a little bit lucky right the good news is that like people get opportunities in their lives like most people get a lot of opportunities in their lives um more than i think we realize sometimes and you know the trick to it is realizing when you are having getting an opportunity and then yeah just like working really really hard at it um and in some ways so I think that, you know, that meal uh, is a lot about eating what you have available to you, like mm-hmm. rice and black eyed peas, which are not super tasteful things. <laughs> like they're not f- super flavorful things, but it's like, you know, this is what we have and this is what we can make today. And we eat this very simple dish and it reminds us that like you have to take advantage of like what you're given, even if what you're given is not a lot. And you have to work really hard at it and like you, you know, stick with it and like you kind of make your own luck out of it. And that's how I think about it. I think. But I don't know. Right I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it feels good. It's got it's got a no, good it's, platitude in there. It's, it's very it it's high on the platitudes. <laughs> uh, so we'll see. I don't know if it's real or not. No, I, I, I think it's great that and you can recognize opportunity better after you've had a meal. <laughs> but here's the deal. My Hop and John's really good. Like I make really good Hop and John. We're going to have to have some Hop and John. You got to throw a ham hock in there, though, which grossed my daughter out. Yeah, you don't want to look at a ham hock when it's raw. No. Or even cooked, necessarily. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't smokes, look great. Yeah. 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 Um, last last point of order before we sign off here is uh, New Year, New You. I was thinking about adding. We, we can try this out. Trial basis. Mm-hmm. This is a trial basis. I was thinking about adding a new segment at the end of the episode. Oh yeah, you mentioned this. I forgot what it was. Wherein, though. wherein we take we answer questions from listeners. So, tweet us your questions. Yeah, so yeah, t- Twitter's fine. Twitter's fine. Amos will cultivate the good ones, and then <laughs> he will ask the hosts, but only the good ones. Listen, if you want to just like screw around, you know, take your business elsewhere. And that's it. I'm just kidding. You can right. screw around. I mean, really, start out the the best questions, the ones that are probably going to get picked, are like, "What did our kids eat for lunch?" 
I would say so, yeah. Because we what, usually what, stick, we what stick exactly to breakfast, do right? I put? What exactly do I put in my Hop and John? Right. These are know? great questions. Exactly. These they are were, these are the hard-hitting questions that we were, we're here to answer. This is, this is uh, what we're but yes, about. if you want to send us questions, you can send us questions. If you want to send us a long-form question, um, I th- believe that we have an email. Yes, we do. Uh, That's available actually, on... I'm not going to tell you because... I don't know. Just, but just, also, just go to our website. It's on the, There's a form. It's on There's the, actually a Elixir form on the website. website. Yeah, yeah, and you can send us questions that way. Yeah. And we'll be happy to answer any questions. There's a lot of spam that comes through that form, though. So, mm-hmm. But there is so, there well, often is good feedback, too. We, yes, and we will wade through that and find it. Well, just, we, we're going to take that on ourselves to do that for you. This is all for your benefit. Now, what what Chris means by we're going to take this on ourselves is Amos will go through the spam and have questions for us. We said the same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so we're going to do that. And I think it's going to be fun. And if it's not fun, we won't do it anymore. But I think it's going to be fun. I'm I'm super excited. Let's try it out and see what's going on. And next week, we have a guest. And that's all I'm going to say about it. All right, that's a that's that's some pro that's that's a pro move right there. It's yeah, we really we're it's really a, stepping up our game in 2020. It's a deep tease. Mm. <laughs> hmm. All right. Well, thanks, Keithley. I got to get back to it. All right. Have a good day. Take it easy too. Bye.